And then in the victory is yours, Lord God. We can rest assured, Lord, knowing that the war is, has been won, Lord. Even though we're in the fight, we're, we're fighting battles around us every day, Lord, the war has already been won. Thank you, Jesus, for that hope. Amen, amen. You guys can be seated. We're going to continue to worship as we receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Faithful and true, Lord.
can be seated once again, and uh, we're going to take some time and cover a few announcements. Well, good morning, church. Glad to see you this morning. Anybody new here for the first time, why don't you raise your hand and we can just welcome you and say hello. Welcome. There is a visitor card in the front of the pew, uh, pew, chairs, (laughs) that's an old term, um, Front of the chairs, if we get you to fill it out and turn it in, we'd love to get in contact with you and get to know you a little bit. Uh, if you have your bulletins, let's take them out and go over a few things happening this week at Calvary. Left side of our bulletin, as you know, is our weekly fellowship opportunities. Our Greek and Hebrew class is canceled because of Labor Day uh, being tomorrow, but everything else is right on schedule there. Uh, men's and women's studies are on break, but that's about to end. Our women's studies are going to start up again on uh, Thursday evening, September 14th, and our men's, we're going to be a little bit later than that. Our first meeting will be October 5th, a Thursday night. But we have what's coming up next is our women's retreat, and I'm real excited about this. This is going to be a great opportunity for the ladies to get together to hear some really good teaching from uh, Kathy uh, Dickinson, and just a great opportunity uh, to come out and have that fellowship, breakfast, lunch on Saturday. We have a sign-up sheet in the back. would love to get you signed up as soon as possible so we know how much food to order and, and, and that. So that's coming up. If you need any more information about that, just see my wife, Lisa, right there. Wave your hand, Lisa. Thank you. And talk to, talk to her. We'll get you plugged in with that. Ministry needs, as we grow, <laughs> ministry needs seem to grow. I think this morning we got like two phone calls or three phone calls of teachers that couldn't make it today because of illnesses. And so we got it covered, praise the Lord. But uh, if, if God has laid on your heart to maybe get involved, uh, just see Ginger in for the children's ministry or see one of the pastors here and, and would love to get you plugged in with our online ministry, security ministry, parking lot ministry, Worship me. All sorts of opportunities for you if you want to get involved and serve here at the church. And then we have our New Testament Greek class. We talked about this starting up September 18th. And then, uh, and that's it. Oh, uh, Ladies Walking Fellowship. Julie told me that this Thursday is their last Thursday for the Ladies Walking Fellowship, 6 o'clock over here at Galloway, Tiquito Park. They take a walk up and down. That's some street. Great fellowship, but as it gets colder and time changes, we have to stop that. But anyway... We're a little bit away from that, but Thursday is the last time for that. Uh, be praying about the Operation Christmas Child already. We've got to start getting those shoe boxes together. Uh, but those announcements, oh, one more thing. There's a gentleman I spoke to. He's a part of the Full Men's Gospel Association, and he put on a, he's putting on a Jesus celebration down at Moonshine Beach uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, it's a baptism, some songs, some discipleship. If you've got nothing to do today, something you want to do tomorrow, I want to head out for that just to be a part of that, what's going on with that. So with those announcements, let's all stand up and say hello to, to someone. We haven't said hello to yet.
That was awesome. That was awesome. I've been waiting to hear that song. Wanting to hear that song. All right. Hi, Steve. You get a handshake. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, church.
Good morning, church. Tim's going to be playing while I preach. So, one of my jokes, he can go. It's not going to help, will it? <laughs> yeah, it won't help. That ain't going to happen. Well, we are finishing up this morning our special little series called What Happens Next with really the final event that will happen as far as God has given to us in his word concerning the end times. And let me just remind you, this is just an overview. I'm only pointing out certain highlights in, in, in the encouragement that you'll dig in further for yourself and dig deeper in your own personal study time and you'll be blessed. But this morning... We're going to look at, at uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and 20. Pick out some verses there. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. But Revelation, chapter 19 and 20, we'll pick out some verses through there. The title of my message this morning is, To Infinity and Beyond. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we could spend in your word together. Thank you for the change that happens in our lives, Lord, as we fellowship, as we spend time in your word, as your Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts concerning the days in which we live, concerning our hearts, where they need to be and how they need to be right with you. And Lord, we thank you for this time together, Lord. It's a, it's a refreshment time, Lord. It's an encouraging time. It's a time that we are built up, we are strengthened, uh, Lord, to face this world in which we live. Thank you for it, Lord. We do pray if there's anyone here or anyone watching online that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. They're not born again. They're not Christians today. Lord, would you help them to see their need for you, help them to turn from their sin and cry out to you for salvation today. Thank you for our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The whole reason we started really this series can be found in our theme verse, if you recall, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. And so as we've been studying, God's word has been confirmed in our hearts. These things are happening in our world today. And we've looked at that no matter how dark things look in our world, our hope is in Jesus Christ and the surety of his word. And that we know without a doubt that our God will give us everything we need to shine in this dark place we live in today. To do all that we can to reach the lost and to be used by God for his glory until he comes back. Because according to uh, Revelation 22:7, Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Mind you, a story of a young preacher who was uh, going on in semin seminary, and, and they were trained to memorize the, their whole sermons and, and that kind of thing. And he was preaching his first message at a church, and, and uh, this was going to be really his test for him. And the passage he chose was Revelation 22, 7, Behold, I come quickly. So he got up there without any notes at all and begins the sermon with, uh, Behold, I come quickly. But he was so nervous, he forgot what the second point was, what to say next. He just couldn't think of it. And the silence of the audience made him even more nervous. So again, he says it a little bit louder, hoping it would refresh his memory. Behold, I come quickly. But he still couldn't think of his first point. So he thought, this is serious. So the third time, 
he got a little more louder. He got more dynamic. He pounded his fist on the pulpit, leaned on it several times to make this point. Behold, I come quickly. But just then, as he did, the pulpit went forward, stumbled down the stairs, hit this poor 80-year-old man that's sitting in the chair. He feels now horrible, the pastor does. He rushes over to him and he says, I am so, so sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? The old man says, oh, no, 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 that's all right. I should have known better. You've warned me three times in advance. <laughs> Folks, Jesus is coming back, and I do believe quickly. And as we have pointed out, there has never been another time in history with the signs of the end times prophecies has been more aligned with our culture and circumstances that are in the world today. We've looked at so far the regathering of the nation of Israel and how that happened just as God's word said it would happen, May 14, 1948. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah all prophesied of this event and it happened. We looked at what Jesus said the world would be like prior to his coming back in Matthew 24 as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And we compared Noah's time to that in Genesis chapter 6, and the, uh, uh, in Genesis chapter to, to our time, and, and uh, we looked at how all these pieces are in place for really uh, in Noah's time and our time, the, the, the parallels, what's going on. We've looked at how, when it comes to the signs of the times, we looked at how all those pieces are in place for a one-world monetary system, a one-world religion. The technology is there to make it so we cannot buy or sell without bearing some sort of mark of allegiance to the Antichrist. We looked at the wars and the rumors of wars and noted that they are at an all-time high with a doomsday clock at set at 90 seconds. And I do believe, personally, the Antichrist is alive and waiting in the wings to be revealed. And the only thing that's keeping him from being revealed is us, the church. We are in the way. As the Bible says, before he can be revealed, we need to be out of here. There's no prophetic event that has to happen before Jesus comes back in the air uh, to pull his church off this earth. And when that happens, that will mark the beginning of the greatest tribulation ever to come upon this earth. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, For there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time known nor ever shall be. And we looked at hell and fire and blood and burning mountains dropping into the sea, stars falling from the sky, giant poisonous locusts you know, attacking one-third of mankind as they're killed, the oceans turning to blood, everything in them dies, the earth and the rivers and, and springs turn to blood, the heat from the sun intensifies, and everyone is in anguish from the sores and their pain. And then we read in Revelation 16, 12, the Euphrates River dries up, with, which will allow the armies from the east to march towards Israel to fight against the Antichrist. Interesting fact, I, I read today that, that the government officials believe that the Euphrates River will be completely dry by 2040. And then finally, the greatest earthquake that will ever happen will come to this earth. You know, anyone that ever says, well, you know, I'll just wait until the rapture, after the rapture happens, then I'll accept Christ. Really? <laughs> you want to go through everything that we just talked about, everything that's written in, in Revelation chapter 6 through 16? You want to be here? I mean, a time in the world that will be unparalleled in human history. It starts 
once the rapture of the church takes place, or shortly thereafter, and it will end the, with the return of Jesus Christ. So this brings us to where we are at this morning as we look at these final events that God has laid out for us in His Word that will take us into infinity and beyond. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at three things this morning. Number one, the second coming. Number two, the millennium. And number three, the new heaven and the new earth. Point number one, the second coming of Jesus. Turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Now, we looked at this briefly last week, but let's go over just one more time. There's a big difference between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. In his first coming, Jesus came as a baby in weakness. In his second coming, uh, it'll be in power and glory to assert his will over the earth. At his first coming, very few bowed before him. When Jesus comes back, every knee will bow in humble worship. At his first coming, the door of the inn was shut in his face. At Jesus' second coming, we read of a door open in heaven out of which he rides as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's read about that starting in Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 11 and 12. The Apostle John writes, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat at him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. See, this is uh, speaking of Jesus uh, about to return to the earth. In fact, the Bible tells us exactly where Jesus will return to this earth. Take note of Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. It says, On that day his feet, speaking of Jesus, will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. So when Jesus returns to this earth, there's going to be an earthquake like no other. I mean, it's going to split a mountain in half. Revelation 16, verse 18 says, And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. So what happens next? Well, Jesus puts an end to the battle of Armageddon. We looked briefly at that last week. You see, the armies of the Antichrist have gathered in the Valley of Megiddo, there in Israel, to face a 200 million man army coming in from the east. Many believe this 200 man million army uh, it will be China because actually back in 1998, they announced that they could actually man a 200 million man army. So this army is coming in from the east down to the Valley of Megiddo, through the dried-up Euphrates River. They will begin to fight against the armies of the Antichrist. When verse 19 of chapter 19 says, suddenly they will stop fighting each other, and they will turn on Jesus. Look at verse 19. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army. Not a good move. You really think you can defeat Jesus? Go back to verse 15 and 16 of Revelation 19. Because it's not going to be much of a battle. Because Jesus just, as he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, it's all over. Look at verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he shall strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's all over. That's it. The king has returned. What does he do first? Look now at verse 20 and 21 of Revelation 19. 
Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So Jesus here puts an end to the great tribulation, the Antichrist, the false prophets, and those that have received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image, they're destroyed. That's the end of Revelation chapter 19. Chapter 20 now begins with Satan being bound, thrown uh, into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And, and what happens next? Well, it's called the millennial reign of Christ, the millennium, our second point. Look now, chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat in them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned in Christ with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So here we read of a specific time which Christ is going to reign on the earth. Verse 4 specifically says it will be for 1,000 years. This 1,000-year time period is known as the millennial reign of Christ. A 1,000 years where heaven comes to earth, where Christ is ruling and reigning. Now, we need to really dig a little bit deeper on this term, 1,000 years. It occurs six times throughout Revelation chapter 20. It's a, it's a word, it's millennium, that comes from the Latin milli and annum, which means 1,000 years. It's a passage that clearly and distinctly teaches about a millennium of peace that's going to come to this earth. Now, with that said, it's important to note that the, this topic and this chapter is one of the greatest battlefields of Scripture because there's so many different viewpoints concerning the millennium. I'll give you three. There's what's called the amillennialism, secondly, the postmillennialism, and third, the premillennialism. First, this term amillennialism. Ah, meaning no or none. You could call them the non-millennialists. They believe that Christ is presently reigning through the church and that the thousand years is simply a metaphorical reference to the present church age, which will then culminate in Christ's return. The thousand-year reign of Christ began when Jesus died on the cross, and that's where Satan was bound. Now, for those that hold this view, and there are those who hold so strong that they're willing to cause great division in churches over it, to those that hold this view, I have to say uh, there are quite a few holes in this view. First and foremost, if Satan is bound, he's got way too long of a chain, in my opinion. If he is bound, according to Scripture, then why does Peter, in his letter, write, watch out for the enemy? He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That certainly doesn't sound to me like Satan is bound in Peter's day when Peter issues that warning. Secondly, when it comes to prophecy, there are all kinds of problems that you face holding that view because you're forced to spiritualize a whole lot of verses. Most of Revelation chapters 6 through 16. And I love the way J. Vernon McGee responds to this. He says it in a way that only he can, for those of you familiar with him. He writes this, To spiritualize a passage is to disembowel all scripture of vital meaning. He says, the thrones are literal, the martyrs are literal, 
Jesus is literal. The word of God is literal. The beast is literal. The image is literal. The mark of the beast is literal. Their foreheads and their hands are literal. And the thousand years are literal. It is all literal. A thousand years means a thousand years. If God meant that it was eternal, I think he would have said so. If he meant it uh, was 500 years, he would have said so. God cannot, cannot God only say what he means? Of course he can. And when he says a thousand years, he means a thousand years. <laughs> Period. I, I like that. <laughs> I agree, Jay. 100%. Now, the second view on the millennium is what's called the post-millennialism. And they should make a serial out of this one, the new post-millennialist from the makers of post-trivers. Uh, <laughs> post-millennialists told you that, that the church will usher in the kingdom of God. That as we grow and as we mature as Christians, we will get ourselves into governmental positions, places of authority, and eventually Christianity will spread into all forms of government worldwide. And then Jesus comes back because we've made the earth ready for him to come back. There's also a, a modern term uh, for this called dominion theology. This view really has a more popular, become more popular lately because of Christians decided to get more involved in politics, which we should do, but not for that reason. See, the Bible teaches we should occupy until Jesus comes. We should do the work of the ministry until Jesus comes. Do all that we can to curb the spread of evil by getting involved in politics by going to the whole world and sharing the gospel because Jesus is coming back, not so Jesus will come back. As I said, there are many groups that hold this post-millennial view, also known as Dominion Theology, Reconstructionism, Kingdom Now Theology, the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR for short. And again, this view has become popular uh, due to to, to the uh, push for political change in Christian nationalism. But as I said, we should be going into the whole world to share the gospel because Jesus is coming back, not so that he will come back. But again, like our millennialism, this view has many holes in it because all you have to do is look around and you realize things are not getting better. They're not getting better. And this view also creates a lot of problems when it comes to prophecy. Because the Bible says, it tells us in the last days in 2 Timothy 3.13, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Or in Matthew 24, in the last days, iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. That doesn't sound to me like things are going to get better. Also, you have to throw out the rapture of the church and spiritualize the great tribulation uh, with the post-millennialists because the rapture speaks of God removing us from his wrath yet to come upon the earth. But post-millennialists will tell you that the tribulation that Jesus was talking about really happened in 70 A.D. when Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. The problem with that is the book of Revelation was written in 90 A.D. And then during the seas on Jerusalem in 70 A.D., I'm sorry, I don't read about hell and fire with blood, burning mountains dropping into the sea, stars falling from the sky, giant poisonous locusts attacking one-third of mankind as they're killed. Now this brings us to the third view called premillennialism. Obviously, this is the view we hold here at Calvary. The premillennialist view says that when the tribulation is over, at the end of the battle of Armageddon, Jesus is going to come back right before man has the opportunity to completely destroy himself from the, off the face of the earth. And at that time, Jesus will set up his kingdom upon the earth. He will rule the nations with the rod of iron, the Bible says. He will rule from the throne of David. 
And that prayer that we've been praying for some 2,000 years that our Lord taught us to pray will actually be answered when we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's think about uh, this millennium for a moment. What will the world be like when Jesus is ruling and reigning for that 1,000 years? Well, the Bible teaches us that there will finally be world peace, no more war, no more conflict, no more politics, no more nuclear weapons. So many nations today have been able to harness the power of the atom, <clears throat> excuse me, and they've created weapons that can wipe man completely off the face of the earth. People have asked me, is there nuclear war? Is nuclear war going to happen before Christ returns? It could. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Albert Einstein said, I know not what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. And, and you know, as we read about some of the destruction and the, the phenomenon that will be happening during, happening during the Great Tribulation, it makes it a very real possibility that there will be some sort of nuclear conflict going on during that time. But this we know for sure. When Christ comes back, all war will cease. All fighting will cease. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 says this, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Here's another plus for the millennial reign of Christ. During the millennial reign of Christ, there'll be joy, happiness, no more disabilities, no more depression, no more wheelchairs, no more walkers, no more blindness, no more deafness. Mark this down, Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be, deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. During the millennial reign of Christ, the lifespan of people will be very long. Isaiah 65 verse 20 says this in the New Living Translation. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. <laughs> Again, this is speaking of the people who survived the Great Tribulation that didn't take the mark of the beast. Those that will have children during the millennial reign of Christ. Now, maybe these life expectancies will be extended to hundreds of years like it was uh, uh, in the creation in early biblical times. Next is one of my favorites. During the millennial reign of Christ, the animal kingdom will be subdued. You animal lovers are going to love this. This is where the Bible says the animals will be completely tame and docile. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, we read, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And the little child will lead them all. Obviously, there'll be no cats during this time because, you know, they would never do that. But anyway, <laughs> there's not going to be any zoos. There's not going to be any wild animal parks with cages. Your little boy will say, Mommy, I'm taking Spot out, our baby alligator, for a walk. And Mom will say, Okay, honey, just be careful. You Don't hurt him, you know. Don't pick him up by his head. He doesn't like that. <laughs> okay. Bible says in Isaiah 11, verse 8, the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, the little child will put his hands in a net of deadly snakes without harm. That's going to take me a long minute to get used to. <laughs> I don't know about that one. 
During the millennial reign of Christ, there will be universal justice and righteousness. No more corrupt lawyers, no more activist judges, no more injustices or frivolous lawsuits. Bible says in Psalm 72, verse 2, when Jesus rules and reigns, he will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. And finally, during the millennial reign of Christ, holiness will prevail. All the world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8, and a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Now, what will we be doing during the millennial reign of Christ? I'm glad you asked. Look again at verse 4 of Revelation chapter 20. John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now this is speaking of those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that will be judging during those thousand years. See, when Christ returns to this earth, remember we read in chapter 19 that there's armies that, that follow with them. Who are those armies? Well, Jude tells us that the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Who are his saints? Colossians 3 verse 4 tells us the answer. So you don't have to guess. When Christ is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, you and I are coming back to rule and reign with Christ for that thousand years. We will return with him at the second coming. In fact, in Luke chapter 19 verse 17, there's a parable that Jesus spoke there. And he seems to be speaking of this time when he says, well done, thou faithful servant. You have been faithful in a little, so you will have authorities over ten cities. So it will appear that we will have been given different responsibilities during this millennial reign of Christ. Now you may be thinking, well, I don't really want to be ruling or judging. That doesn't sound like fun to me. But listen, this is a reward that Jesus spoke of. A reward is something that is good. It's not like, well, thank you very much for finding my lost dog. Here's your reward. You get to clean up after him for a thousand years. <laughs> Gee, thanks. No, Jesus would not have taught us to be using our opportunities and time wisely down here on earth if we thought that we wouldn't like the reward he had prepared for us. Paul would not have told us to run the race so that we might win the prize if the prize wasn't something that we would want. Understand the Bible speaks of two judgments, a great white throne judgment, we'll look at we'll look at in a moment. But there is also the Bema seat judgment of Christ, also known as uh, uh, as the Bema seat, it's the judgment of Christ. First Corinthians three, twelve to fifteen, where we'll be rewarded for the life that we live. That's first Corinthians three, verse twelve to fifteen. So how easy does the Lord make it for us to get a reward in heaven? Matthew 10, 42 says, And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of these least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. A cup of water to a child assures your reward. Now don't all get up and go into the class over there and bring some water to the kids. Here, quick, 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 I need a reward. There's other ways to get a reward. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, Jesus says, When people mock you, and they persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. 
So when they, people lie about you and mock you for your faith in Christ and persecute you, that assures you are going to get a reward. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So it seems that as we look at Scripture, God has made it pretty easy for us to make sure when we get to the millennium and rule and reign with Christ, we are all prepared ahead of time. We have a great reward. So we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. So right about now you may be going, okay, Tom, clear all this up for me. What people are doing, what, who's doing what, I'm just not getting this. I had this conversation with my daughter just the other day. And I think I went through about three or four times. I said, okay, we have those that have died during the Great Tribulation that, that gave their lives to Christ during the Great Tribulation. They're martyred for their faith. They are called Tribulation Saints. Revelation 17, they have the privilege of being before the throne of God, serving Him day and night. Then you have those that took the mark of the beast and worshiped the Antichrist. They are waiting in hell for the great white throne judgment. We read about them in verse 5 of Revelation 20, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Well, who's left? Those on the earth that didn't take the mark of the beast that somehow managed to survive the Great Tribulation that will now repopulate the world during the millennium. And then there's us, the church, the bride of Christ, coming back with Jesus to rule and reign for a thousand years. And that's why Jesus said in verse 5 and 6 here of Revelation 20, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such a second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's us. Folks, if nothing goes right in your life, we are so blessed to be a part of this first resurrection. We are blessed because we are saved. We're in the, the bride of Christ. We'll be with the Lord forever. We'll rule and reign with him a thousand years. It's going to be a great time, the millennium. Now, the question then has been asked, who will we be ruling and reigning over? And again, that is answered by those that, that survived the tribulation period, which includes one-third of the inhabitants of Jerusalem who were spared. It would also include all those who didn't take the mark of the beast and managed to survive. Well, say, well, that seems like it would be a very small number of people. But if you're living five, six hundred years, I mean, it won't take a very short time to repopulate the whole earth. I mean, if a child dies at a hundred, it seems young. Now, remember, at this time, we are in our glorified body. We have been transformed, the Bible says. The corruption had to put on incorruption. This mortality had to put on immortality. We've been given new bodies, much like Jesus' resurrected body, uh, as he showed himself to his, his, his disciples after his resurrection. Remember some of the things that Jesus did in his glorified body? Suddenly, he appears in a room, doors are locked, no windows, and the next minute we read, he's walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But suddenly, he's back in that room again, without Thomas being there. Thomas finds out about it and says, unless I see you in his hands and print of the nails and put my finger in the print of his hands, uh, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus suddenly shows up again with Thomas there, knowing exactly what Thomas said, and says, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. 
And then the next thing we see, Jesus is out on the beach cooking fish for his disciples. I love this. My point is our new bodies are going to have some incredible abilities to enjoy, which will make ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years very enjoyable. But most of all, it will be enjoyable because as we looked at in Revelation 19.15, Jesus will be with us ruling with a, a rod of iron. There will be enforced righteousness. No one will be able to get away with anything during this time. Now you say, well, why would anyone want to? I mean, you've got a, a perfect environment. Well, the answer is that everyone who's left on the earth and everyone who's born during this time, they will still have that old sinful nature in them. Now again, that's not us. We're already in our glorified bodies, but praise the Lord. But the people on earth, when Christ returns, the, those that didn't follow the beast, those that didn't take the mark of the, of the Antichrist, these people, though in a perfect environment, they will not be. And because Satan is bound, it does make a life a whole lot easier, but people are still going to struggle with their thought life. They're going to still struggle with their flesh, as we do today. People are still going to wrestle with the tendency to be selfish, to covet, to get angry. I think we blame so much today on the devil when in reality it's just our own flesh. Oh, the devil made me do this, or, or the devil tempted me. Not always. Sometimes you were just drawn away by your own lust and desires. See, people during the millennial, alive during the millennial, will still struggle with their fleshly desires, but sin is not going to be as blatant as it is today because there's going to be a healthy respect for the rule of Christ. People see how amazingly awesome our Lord is. They're going to be motivated by, by love to not want to displease Him. But again, because people will still be born with that sin nature, there will still be that struggles with anger and disputes, and that's where we come in to keep the peace. We're going to be like peace officers during that time. So what happens next? What happens when December 31st of the year 999 rolls around in the millennium? What should we expect? Well, now look at verse 7 through 10 of Revelation chapter 20. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is at the sand of the sea. Now this Gog and Magog is different than the battle in Ezekiel 38. Different time, different battle. Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That would be Jerusalem. Now look at God's reaction, verse 9. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil's done. He came back at the end of the thousand years, tempted all those people living on the earth. There are some that, that came and, and want to follow him. Jesus shows up and says, that's it. We're done. We're done. See, this, is just, this just goes to show us that man had up until this point a thousand years of great security, great prosperity, great peace, perfect ecology, perfect government. But there's still going to be war because men is still wicked on the inside. Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? I mean, here is man in a perfect environment ruled by none other than Jesus Christ, no scandals in his government, but yet man still rebels, showing the wickedness inside. They say, well, who's rebelling during this millennium? Well, it's, again, the survivors of the tribulation and their kids, those that were born there. See, there will be people who are under the rule of Christ that don't necessarily want to be, and that's this final rebellion. 
And, but it's going to be over fast. Drop down and look, look, look at verse 9 again. Fire came down from God out of heaven, devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Now we come to what happens next. Two more things and we're done. The great white throne judgment. This is the judgment of mankind. Let's read about what that. Look at verse 11 through 15 of chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. This is an ominous scene. This is, is serious. It's sobering. Probably one of the most tragic passages in all of Scripture. I mean, there's not going to be any debate over guilt or innocence of the person there will be a prosecutor, but there will be no defender. There will be an accuser, but there will be no advocate. There will be an indictment, but there will be no defense mounted by the accused. Because the convicting evidence will be presented with no rebuttal or cross-examination. No judge, no jury. Just Jesus Christ opens up the books. Says, oh, is your name here or not? <coughs> the question arises, who will be at the great white throne judgment? Everyone who rejected God's offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Anyone not found in the written in the book of life, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. You're saying, Tom, you're freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> Don't be. Let me remind you that if you're a Christian, you will not be at this judgment. If you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about this because Jesus already paid the price for your sin. Remember verse 14 and 15 says, This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The second death. If you're born once, you're going to die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. By born twice, I mean you're born physically, but then you're born again spiritually, so you'll only die once. Yeah, you'll die physically, but you'll not face the second death. The second death is when that person stands before God in the great white throne judgment and is condemned forever in eternal torment. See, their choice to not want God in their lives, their choice to not want to follow God is going to be honored as they are forever banished, cast into the lake of fire, the place of torment forever and ever. They will have now died twice, once on earth and now at the great white throne judgment, that second death meaning being separated from God forever in torment. Picture the scene. I mean, they will see the nail-scarred hand of Jesus as he scans the book looking for your name. And it's not found there. And then sadly and reluctantly he will say, Depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. And those words will ring in the non-believer's ear for all of eternity. What a tragic turn of events. And I guarantee you, God takes no pleasure in any of this. This breaks the heart of God. And I know that it's hard for some people to imagine a place like a lake of fire. But understand that that God is just as as well as loving. There there has to be a final judgment. You can't have a God of love without a God of justice. Because this just and holy God said, the soul that sins shall surely die. He said, the wages of sin is death. But this God who is loving and gracious paid the wages of our sin. He paid the price for our sin, which is 
death, eternal separation from God. And right now, during this time of grace, Jesus has come to me. Turn from your sin. Put your faith and trust in me, and you will be forgiven. I paid the price for your sin. I went to the cross. That is why that is the most radical of insults to say, no, I don't need you, Jesus. Realize how insulting that is? That's why the great white throne judgment provides a final solution. Sin will finally be eliminated either at Calvary's cross or the lake of fire. This brings us to our final point, and we end on a good note. <laughs> Number three, the new heaven and the new earth, or as I like to say, to infinity and beyond. We'll close with this and end our time of communion. Look at Revelation chapter 21 now, and look at verses 1 through 6. Just a page over. John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there is no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of, the he- out of heaven from God, <clears throat> prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. What happens next? What happens towards the end here? A new heaven and a new earth. Now we certainly understand why there needs to be a new earth. But why a new heaven? Well, according to Job chapter 15, verse 15, the heavens are not pure in the sight. And the reason being is because Satan's presence had polluted it. Now, there are some commentators that teach, well, you know, this is going to be a, a refurbished, a remodeled heaven, a remodeled earth. That's not the case here. And you can see why when you look at other verses. Over in Isaiah 65, verse 17, God says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. See, at this point, we have passed from the realm of time into eternity. Heaven and earth have since merged and become one. The last reference to the marking of time was found in Revelation chapter 20, where after the millennial reign of Christ, we then enter into timelessness. Everything is now. Everything is forever. We are now on God's time schedule. Once we enter that eternal realm, we don't have to have watches anymore. We don't have a little phone to keep our appointments. You know, I need to get over here. We're not going to be late. We're not going to be early. I mean, we're not on schedule. This is the, the supernatural realm. And that line from Amazing Grace, the song rings so true. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Eternity. Infinity. It's, it's such an unusual concept. You know, Buzz Lightyear coined the phrase to infinity and beyond, but do we really know what that means? I don't think we can get a grip on that until we reach eternity. John says in verse 1 of chapter 21 that he saw a new heaven and a new earth. That God wipes away all of our tears and sorrows so that we'll never remember those things that sat in our hearts, maybe those loved ones that aren't there. And that's why he says in verse 5 of chapter 21, and he sat and he sat upon the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. Don't we like new things? New car, new clothes, the, 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 the you know, 
new house. What's interesting to me here is this word for new in verse 5 is it continues to be new. It's an ongoing newness. It's always new. A new heaven and a new earth will always be new. It'll never grow old. So it's not like we're going to get to heaven in eternity and after a couple of months, well, there's no, be no time, but after a little while we go, this is kind of old. Is there anything new to look at? You'll never be bored in heaven. There's no harps flying around on clouds. You know, this sounds really boring. No. Everything will be new in the heavenlies because Jesus has the authority to make all things new. And that's why we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All, behold, all things have become new. Jesus alone gives us new life. Jesus alone gives us a new heaven and a new earth. Eternal life is going to be new and refreshing and exciting. Finally, verse, 21, or verse 6 of chapter 21, Jesus says, And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the waters of life freely to him with thirst. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I cannot wait. As we close and enter into time of communion, these things we looked at over the last four weeks will happen because we have God's word on it. Not might happen, not a good chance will happen, no. Knowing these things as believers now, we have a responsibility. Again, our verse, our theme verse, first, Second Peter 1.19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do while the heat is a light and shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. To keep going. Living in this dark world, keep sharing the gospel until Jesus comes to get us, which we have studied looks like it could be very, very soon. Could even be right now. Wouldn't that be great? Right now. Right now. Listen, maybe there's some of you here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, you've never given your life to Christ. If you were to die today, you would have to face eternity apart from God in a place of torment and loneliness. But it doesn't have to be that way. As we close and enter communion, we're going to pass out the bread and the juice and, and, and together. We're going to partake together after we pray. But before we do, Jesus still offers the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. See, Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. Three days later, he rose from the dead to prove that he has power over life and death, that he alone can give you a second chance, a new start, because he makes all things new. But you've got to come to him. He's not going to force himself in anyone's life. You've got to repent of your sin and believe on the one who gave his life for yours. See, there's still time to make that commitment to follow Christ, but time is running out. So if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity, and then we're going to enter into communion. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you're coming back, and we believe very, very soon. And Lord, we as believers, we pray right now. If there's anyone here in this room, anyone watching right now that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again today. Lord, would you speak to their heart, help them to see their need for you, and they would cry out to you today for forgiveness and turn to you for salvation, that they would see their need for you. While their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, Christians are praying. Listen very carefully. If you want to be ready for the return of the Lord, 
If you want to know for certain that when Christ comes for us, you will meet him in heaven. If you want your name written in the book of life, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ, I want you just to raise your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of commitment to Jesus Christ. Anybody at all? You want to give your life to Christ, just raise it up so I can see it. I see your hand in the back corner there. God bless you. Anybody else? You're not too young. You're not too old. Jesus is calling out to you. Call unto me and I will save you. I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll give you new life. Anybody else? To this one that raised his hand, I want you to pray this prayer after me. We can all pray with him. It's just that asking Jesus to come into your life, committing your life to Jesus. Just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but you died for me on the cross. You paid the price of my sin. I turn from it today, put my faith and trust in you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. Thank you that my name's written in the book of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord for this one. Give me life to the Lord. Let's continue in prayer. And Father, now we also thank you for this time of communion. Help us, Lord, to examine our hearts in light of your soon return. Lord, that we would not have any unconfessed sin or that we'd be ashamed of your coming. Cleanse our hearts, we pray, Lord, as we look to the cross and look to see what you did for us. Bless this time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is how I know I am truly forgiven. This is how I know I will stand in the gates of heaven. This is how I know we Stand up when I fall down. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We can hold this cup in our hands. A symbol, Jesus, of your body that was broken for us, your blood that was shed for us upon the cross. Lord, we thank you that you've instituted this uh, practice of communion, Lord, to take us right back to the cross and just to see, Lord, what you've done for us and the love you poured out for us by saving us. And so, Lord, we just want to say thank you and praise you that we love you and we look forward, Lord, to when you call us to be with you, which we believe is very, very soon. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread and the juice. Let's all stand and do one last song together. darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond all creation waits with an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God we will not be moved when the earth gives way Silence breaks in the name of Jesus as the heavens cry, let the earth respond. All creation shouts with a voice of triumph to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be moved when the earth gives way.
Have a fresh anointing of God's Spirit this coming week. May you go out with the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep praying. Keep sharing your faith. Keep running the race. For as Jesus says, for when these things begin to happen, look up. Our redemption draws near. God bless you guys. Have a great week.